Welcome to Collective Wisdom, episode number 10. I'm joined by co-host Nate. He is uh, He's back in the saddle and um, on fine form. We're also joined by uh, guest Will Bremridge, who uh, is not only a good friend of ours, but he is a very talented commercial photographer. He's worked with uh, everyone from uh, Q Magazine to Quicksilver and photographed the likes of uh, Kendrick Lamar, um, Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, and uh, recently has worked with uh, uh, photographing acts at the Isle of Wight Festival. We'll hear about how Will got started in photography, how uh, being a drummer and a snowboarder wasn't cool enough, so he felt like he needed a, a third and final stroke of awesome to add to his CV. We hear about his, his worst ever shoot, a few uh, few confessions about when things have gone wrong, as well as uh, some awesome advice um, about being passionate, uh, about your craft, about getting started in photography, and finding your own style. So, without any further beating around the bush, let's jump into episode 10. Oh, there's donuts as well. Last one, sorry man. There is a muffin left though. Um, I uh, I only had a muffin. I might have something in the pub later. Good thinking. Right. Um, Cool, let's do this. Um, Will, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? How how are you doing? Is what (laughs) I meant to say. That came out. Super duper. How are you doing? We're also joined by Nate, fresh out of rehab. Yep. I'm allowed back on the podcast was uh, removed. Why were you removed? I don't know, he just kicked me off. Didn't invite <laughs> me back for like five episodes. You're like the bassist from Queens of the Stone Age. <laughs> just, just show up once every five gigs. Yeah, get the rest, naked. The rest of, whoa, no promises. <laughs> the reason you're here today uh, is not only are you a good friend, but you're a talented commercial photographer. Thanks um, very much. Ah, you're welcome. So we use, uh, the, we use the word friend and talented loosely in those sentences. <laughs> not a talented friend, but yeah. a friend who might have some talent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, we wanna we wanna kind of quiz you on uh, on what that experience has been like. Um, sure. So you know, kind of you know, where you where you um, where you kind of got got the bug for photography, and uh, you know what kind of path that's led you on, and and you know to get get you where you are today really so um i think let's let's kind of chat around um where you first kind of first got an interest in it because uh you you come from so you've been a drummer yeah you've been, been a snowboarder yeah um and then and then all the stuff that drummer. pays no money yeah but it's very cool yeah so you've done lots of cool things it's cool when you're like 21 years old yeah. and you're telling a girl that that's what you do um <laughs> it's not cool when you're 31 years old and, and you tell girls you're, like and you tell your girl that's what you do yeah they're like wait how are you going to pay for the children <laughs> yeah exactly how <laughs> even the children how about this meal <laughs> So where did you where did where did the photography come from? Like where did you start? Um, so in my snowboarding phase, I, I basically left school and I always wanted to be a professional snowboarder. I wasn't good enough to be a proper professional snowboarder, but I uh, used to travel around with my friends and and uh, yeah, basically just we found a way to to fund snowboarding either by working on jobs out in in the mountains or doing jobs all summer and autumn and then sure. going out for the whole winter. I did that. Minus my degree, I did that until I was 24 years old. So I did four winters away between 18 and 24 and had the best time ever. But then I kind of started to think, 
I started to always have this sort of this uh, hologram of my dad frowning at me on one shoulder <laughs> uh, and saying, when are you going to get on with your life? Um, and I really wasn't ready to go and just, I, I'm not cut out for just sort of going into a career that someone says seemed like a good idea. It had, oh. it was always because I've got such a short attention span and I'm so sort of hyperactive. I was only ever going to succeed in something that I directly thought was awesome. Um, so it was either going to be Lion Tamer or photographer and I chose photographer by uh, all my friends were sort of either professional snowboarders or they were at least sponsored by brands Mm -hmm. or at least very photogenic and talented snowboarders and I was living in Colorado at the time which is like the epicenter of professional snowboarding in the US Uh, so I was around at a really good time where there was just so much pro talent around me and I was available to just photograph it all and it was before um before every man and his dog had a really nice camera because everybody's got a nice camera nowadays that you could potentially use for a professional job um but uh you but so what was i going to say um but yeah back then not everyone had uh, had a really nice camera so the fact that i was just there with a pretty sexy looking canon camera people assumed that i was of some sort of professionalism and uh, yeah. and the, back then this, all the pro snowboarders needed photographs of them doing stuff so i was kind of taken uh, with open arms, really, by by the snowboarding community, to a, a little a little bit. That's kind of quite a classic way of um, of uh, photographers getting started, or at least in the old days, that was the case. Often, yeah. someone would be in a music scene or in a this or a Absolutely, that, yeah. and they'd be they maybe be the guy that wasn't in the band, but just started shooting yeah, stuff. I know a lot of not in the band people. Yeah, but then and, and then suddenly they're they're one of the greats. Yeah, and arguably, it's it's harder to not be in the band now. Because the whole world is not in the band. Yeah. They're taking photos with their iPhones. The last concerts. seven years or so, when did I start? 2006. Um, so even longer than seven years. Uh, has like The amount of changes has been huge. Like The quality of an average person's photos has gone up to the point where people who consider themselves professionals have had to go and get better. Which is great, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I know people who who could have passed as a as a proper professional photographer through just their Instagram shots, you know, <laughs> nowadays. Uh, but if they, you know, had they been around years ago, and how do you make that distinction? I guess uh, being a professional photographer, um, having so many people attempt to be professional photographers, when you meet people, how do you distinguish between somebody who legitimately is you? six or seven years ago yeah. or somebody who just has a really nice camera and my, takes a bunch of pictures. My advice to anybody who wants to call themselves a professional photographer is to def- you have to consider yourself an artist as much as you are a business person. And if you want to exceed, uh, succeed uh, in the kind of commercial sort of uh, advertising and portraiture world or anything that you see on the pages of magazines, mm-hmm. whether it's an article or an advert, you need to consider yourself to be an artist because the only way you're going to get hired for those jobs is by having a style that's recognisable and uh, and working on your own photography and, and considering yourself to be an artist um, ra- rather than just someone with a camera who takes okay pictures of sporting events and, and you know, pictures of people... Uh, you know, just really mediocre portraits of people. There's a yeah. lot of people like that who just don't seem to... I don't feel like they, they they see themselves as an artist. They see themselves as just someone who makes a living from having a camera. And I think that's a bit of a shame. And you can usually see who those people are because they never really go past a certain point. 
Um, whereas the people who I, I really am interested in, people whose work I can look at for a long mm. time are people who have a style. And I'd much rather see someone have a style that I don't like than no style at all. <laughs> like there's a photographer called uh, Platon who takes very, very aggressive looking black and white f- f- shots uh, from a very, very from very kind of obscure angles, uh, portraits people, like really aggressive portraits, black and white portraits people. And I think they're amazing, but they're definitely not everyone's taste. But he is the guy who shoots aggressively contrasting yeah. black and white portraits of people in a studio shot from low down with them looking all intimidating. That's, that's his niche, and it's awesome. With that style development point, how did you get to the point where you felt like you had a recognizable style? Obviously, you're always improving on it, but yeah. starting out, you, you didn't have a style. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely didn't have a style to my snowboard photography work. I just shot quite cool shots of snowboarding, and no one else was really that. Mm-hmm. Not many other people were around doing it. Uh, but when I moved to London, I'd say within two years of moving to London, I kind of, I'd say I have, I've had my own style since about 2011. Um, and but I don't particularly, I'm still so fresh as a photographer because having been a photographer for six or seven years is not, it's not long. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's plenty of work that I shot in like 2011 that I no longer display, uh, but it was still definitely working towards the style that I shoot with now. And I used to look at hundreds and hundreds of photographers' work, a bit of photographers' portfolios, but I realized once you've kind of figured out the style of work that you want to shoot in, looking at anything else can actually be, it can actually make you, you get lost when you don't uh, yeah. you start kind of mimicking other stuff and realizing that you, you you're not shooting along any kind of style anymore so I kind of I keep up to date with uh, like I read I've got loads of books from my favorite photographers which I flick through all the time um, and I know that I, I kind of base r- most of my inspiration on, on that kind of work uh, like the guys who shoot for Vanity Fair and Hollywood Reporter and GQ and stuff I love a lot of that work whereas if I kind of I I went through a small phase of wanting to be a fashion photographer, which I don't actually have an interest in at all anymore. Um, but and I looked at loads of fashion photographers' work, and then I just started shooting just this mishmash of mm. okay, but not particularly <laughs> great work. Mm. And so I think it's important not to important to figure out how you want your work to look and really pursue a style, and uh, and not allow yourself to get distracted by other things. Because the first thing you do when you see something really cool that's not like your work. Is, is think oh I want to go out and shoot something like that but that's all well and good and it's probably a lot of fun but it doesn't mean it's going to suit your portfolio yeah so it sounds like you you almost kind of curate, uh, curate your um, your exposure to inspiration mm. to, because obviously now more than ever you can open the floodgates day by you know like every hour of the day to so much stuff mm-hmm. so you kind of you almost kind of limit it to the stuff that's gonna really add yeah. value. Yeah, I'm so psyched on so many different types of photography that I don't trust myself to look at <laughs> all of it because I will accidentally just start trying to shoot like this or that. Um, so I kind of reel it in a little bit or at least know that if someone shot something really cool, be inspired by it, but don't go out and shoot the same thing. Um, you know, you could, you're better off just being inspired and wanting to go and shoot more of your own work. Cool, and um, let's chat about some of the people you've, you've shot for, so I mean, you shot for some big names, so, you know, Red Bull, Google, Quicksilver, uh, Men's Health Magazine, Q Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for Q, you you photographed uh, Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, I think that was on the cusp of him really kind of hitting Yeah, that stride. was at a good time. 
Um, yeah. So what what have those kind of experiences been like? I mean, do you have any? Do you have any kind of the Kendrick Lamar job was um, the Kendrick Lamar yeah. job was the first time I was I. I I realised that I was doing the job that I, I absolutely love doing, which That's is awesome. being sent to a hotel suite, meeting a really famous rapper with his his whole entourage with him and getting to photograph him in a way that I wanted. The shot actually didn't end up getting used by the magazine. They said he looked too subdued. Uh, he was either very jet-lagged or very partied out because I kept having to wake him up yeah. because he was falling asleep all the time. Yeah. But I, I was kind of confused by that because I thought, why did you... If you wanted him to look really thug-like and really hip-hop, why did you send a white middle-class photographer to go and take so a, a nice picture? Because I, I went there <laughs> wanting to photograph him with a cup of tea with his little finger out, yeah. and it's what I got. And I was really happy, and I thought that the magazine would be really psyched on that. But they were, they basically it was a case of the photos are great, but they're not what we were after. Mm. But Universal ended up using them for something, which was cool. That's and cool. they're still yeah. the shots that that everybody comments on positively from my work so it's not the end of the world i think it's nice though dude and i and i think that's probably going back to what you're saying about you need to be an artist as a photographer it's not just about framing and hitting hitting a button it's yeah. like what what is your vision of this scenario how's it going to play out and like obviously you were being playful with kendrick and that you know he, there are certain like stereotypes that he probably sits within but mm. it's like how do we break those down he's in england he's in a hotel like it's all plush, it's you know, yeah. it's not a VIP area. Exactly. So how do we kind of play with this idea? And I guess that's um, that's probably a really interesting part of what you do. It's like that mm-hmm. creative input. So how do you um, how do you kind of approach each kind of shoot? Um, and I guess that could be anything from airfields to boardrooms in terms of yeah. So scenarios. I mean, airfields like the Bruce Dickinson shot. Um, Sometimes I mean, I was we were talking about this earlier. Uh, when you, when you you can either have there's like two polar opposites of locations you can have you can have the one that's just so stupidly awe inspiring and you can have the one that has nothing like a boardroom like yeah. a really bland boardroom in a temporary office you know being occupied by some property company and uh, and they both have their problems because when you go to somewhere that's really awe inspiring like Bruce Dickinson's airfield there was just too much cool stuff going on. Um, that was just I had to you ha- I had to kind of reel in the excitement and just pick one thing that I or what like five things that I thought mm-hmm. would really work and go through them rather than try and shoot fifty things and do them all weekly. Yeah, uh, is that the right word? Do them all in a weak way. And uh, <laughs> weekly as in every yeah, other week, <laughs> as in they looked weak. And, um, and whereas when you go to a boardroom, actually sometimes that can be a little bit better because, I mean, you might not come out with the world's most cool portrait, but in terms of getting the job done, you've just got to think of one way to make that boardroom look interesting yeah. and not just generically corporate. Uh, so there's there's evils to both and positives to both. Um, so I usually, I mean, if I know, I had a, I knew I was shooting Bruce Dickinson on that airfield and I did have, a, mm. I knew that I was going to ask probably to try and get him sat on the wing of a plane. And we couldn't yeah. get him on the wing for some reason, but sat in the engine was even cooler. <laughs> yeah. And then, but I mean, I tend to, if I know I'm going to be shooting someone in a really bland kind of, imagine like either a boardroom of an office or just a sort of private meeting room rented out in a hotel because mm. so many hotels have like they rent out meeting yeah. rooms and stuff. And, uh, and you know it's going to be really bland. So those, those are the ones where on the way to the job, I'll look through tons of work. Uh, by some of my favourite photographers and just try and see what did they do to try and to make that boring space look interesting yeah um, 
Whereas with when when I'm being sent to like a, a more fancy hotel or uh, or say an airfield, then I kind of know that when I get there, my brain will start ticking anyway. Yeah. And I don't want to show up with like a preset agenda. That's cool. So yeah, if anything, it's it's limiting limiting your like stuff when you get somewhere really cool. Yeah, you just got to be really disciplined. I think every photographer I know who shoots shoots work in occasionally quite cool places and you've got a time limit and you've got to deal with someone who doesn't necessarily like having their picture taken and doesn't have that much time for it you know you've got to reel in all that excitement about the location mm-hmm. just come up with with a, with a handful of imagine if you're shooting say five pages of a magazine yeah shoot five spots five setups that you know will look great and get them done as good as you can rather than trying to shoot like we were saying just a minute ago, just tons of them, like rushing through them and getting really, really average looking shots the whole way. Do you find it that in the work that you do, whether the environment is, I guess, spacious or confined, that the struggle between over-engineering things and simplifying things is something that you've found your style in? Like, do you feel like you've got more of a simplistic style? Do you I, like yeah, it? my style is quite simple, yeah. I suppose. I mean, it doesn't... I shoot quite dark but very colourful looking work I suppose is a good way to describe it um, and uh, but I don't a lot of my portraiture work is basically getting someone to sit or stand and just relax while I do the rest of the work I I, I mean I'd love to shoot more active stuff with people doing doing uh, actually kind of with more action going on but at the moment my favourite portraits are ones where I've just got someone looking really relaxed um, yeah. in some sort of scene I mean, you recently did the Isle of Wight festival, and a yeah. lot of that was just a pretty simple environment that stage and backdrop that you set up. And yeah, I saw those shots just uh, last week, and it was really, really good. But I mean, that that, yeah, that environment really was, you know, there's nothing I guess fancy or complicated about it. It's a chair yeah. and a backdrop, and it That's, all is um, about the interaction with the people. Yeah, definitely. That was that was a really amazing opportunity to talk about. Actually, they um. So I, I've seen photographers in the US for things like Vanity Fair go to award ceremonies, film festivals and music festivals and set up a really cool photo booth that has nothing to do with corporate sponsorship or any kind of branding and shooting really cool timeless portraits of all the artists or all the people that are film festival, all the actors or, or whatnot or people who won awards and, um, and I've always thought it looked really, really cool. And uh, and so I contacted the Isle of Wight Festival and said, would you be interested in doing this? And they responded amazingly to it. So I decided to shoot. I kind of saw it as a bit of a, a game plan because I knew that if I pulled it off, they might get me back the next year and I may well be able to do it at a whole load of other festivals or, or similar events next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided to shoot the first one very classically like the Vanity Fair ones and then branch out from there. So every one I do, I'll build a different set and make different kind of props mm. and backdrops for it uh, but I decided to shoot the first one kind of in the same style that I that was in all the reference shots that I sent to the festival so I yeah. sent them all these reference shots from like Vanity Fair and stuff and, uh, and because that's what they got psyched about I shot it in that way but the next one I do will be different and the one after that will be different Was it difficult in that setting for the Albright stuff to go from let's say having an hour maybe two hours to interact with the same person yeah. to having anywhere from five minutes to you know a minute and a half to Oh uh, I think 30 seconds was the, was the <laughs> fastest we got Jessie Ware in 30 seconds um, she was in a terrible mood she's lovely but <laughs> she was um, she'd just come off stage and been bombarded with press like yeah. requests for people wanting interviews and it was really hot I think she'd been on tour for days or something. 
so she was not in the mood at all but in a very understandable way um so we shot her for like 30 seconds but going back to what you said i rarely get two hours with to shoot a portrait i usually get i mean the bruce dickinson one because we went all the way to cardiff for it we got an hour with him an hour for the interview and an hour for shooting and I, i got the shooting actually done in about 35 minutes i think um and uh and most magazine portraits of jobs i get like i get anything from like three minutes to 15 minutes um, and I usually just wait for an interview to be done, set up with an assistant, like three different scenarios that we've already got pre-lit and then we just bang through them. Um, so, I mean, having two hours would be amazing. So I didn't, to answer your question, the Isle of Wight thing wasn't that far out of my comfort zone. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and it's I already knew exactly how I wanted what the setup and the lighting was going to be. So I just had to get them to step on set, uh, come up with an idea of how they could sit or stand and then just fire away. So how do you, um, given the the time constraints and everything else, how do you tend to um, try and get as much personality out of that person? Because I guess in the end, a portrait isn't just capturing like what they look like. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit of who they are or a little snapshot of it. Um, I, I tend to like, I mean, for some portraits, sometimes I'll, sh- I'll show up to a job and, uh, and generally rely on my own goofiness and hyperactivity to get someone relaxed. And if, and if it means embarrassing myself in order to get them to sort of cheer yeah. up, then I'm happy to do that and just take the piss out of myself. But sometimes I'll show up and realise that someone's the totally opposite to me and they're quite introverted and quite quiet. And I'll realise that the best thing for me to do is, is play along with that as well. Okay. But usually I just try and be a bit goofy and hyperactive and fun to be around. And it usually gets, it reminds people that they don't have to be all cool or nervous or whatever. Yeah. Cool. And, um... Let's um let's chat around how you um I guess like how how you kind of got going and fill in that kind of middle ground because you know um you got you got your style nailed down and you're shooting some great people but you know um a few years ago you were part time and you, know, yeah. you were temping and stuff like that it's like um how how did you kind of work through that process to the point where you you were near enough ready to kind of go full time and just kind of go all in with yeah, it definitely wasn't a case of me think, looking at my work and going, now's the time for me to go full-time. It was desperation for money. So I, <laughs> which is I, an excellent motivator. I worked in the Oakley store in Covent Garden for 10 months, which is you know a few months too long, and then I temped for about 10 months. Uh, and then I was sat in my flat when I lived in Hackney with no temp job, and there was not a lot going on. And, uh, and I was like, well, I need to pay my bills. And uh, I didn't want to have to call my old man and go, I'm... 27 and I've screwed up yeah. uh, I wanted to just fix it myself so I, I, I went on LinkedIn and made a list of creative directors from all kinds of agencies in London and introduced myself sent them examples of my work and tried to organise coffee meetings with mm-hmm. them and got a really good response and then it just kind of started spiralling cool and um, and how, how you know it sounds like a good process for, for getting in touch with people I'm guessing you have to do that fairly regularly given that most of the people you shoot for are quite fast moving. Like, yeah, I mean, you have to jobs. stay. In, you said, yeah, I call it maintaining a constant presence. So if um, if uh, you need to, without bugging someone, you need to remind art directors and people commissioning yeah. photo work that you exist. And it's not a case of calling them up and going, "Hi, have you got any work?" It's constantly producing your own work mm-hmm. and showing it off to them, so they can go, "Oh, you know who I recently saw did something really cool? That was Will. He, you know, maybe we'll get him to do that." You just got to be fresh in their memory all the time and always polite and always just being fun to talk to. Um, so 
I and usually when my work dries up a little bit, I know it's because three months before mm-hmm. I didn't do any email. Uh, okay. I didn't hustle. So you definitely business. noticed that it is. Yeah, it goes in. It goes in a, in a in a cycle, unless I'm very lucky and just some client. You know, some jobs come out of nowhere, and I have no idea where they even found me. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of it is is work that I've hustled for. All the really cool jobs I've done, I've done them because I've gone out and and introduced myself to that client and uh, and showed them my work and kept in touch with them and stuff. Yeah. And with, do you? Um, oh, sorry, mate. No, I was just gonna say with with the business side of this, you've been talking about recently. There's also you referenced it earlier, the the artist side of it, and for you personally. How do you find time to kind of balance that? Because arguably, if you continue in business, sometimes mixed with artist yeah. side, but sometimes you need to kind of feed that artist side of you and just do stuff on your own that's not like business related at all. I mean, do you find time for that? Or um, I would say, I mean, some really purist people would say your personal work should be completely unbusiness related, but I believe you should shoot what you want to get paid for. Yeah. So there's always an idea that you shoot that series mainly because you know that a certain handful of art directors or picture editors will get will dig it yeah. and they'll like it and, and, and like you for it and want to hire you. So um, I find time to do personal work because because I'm always just thinking of I, I realised when I um when I shot this series of work in Cornwall where I wanted to go down and photograph portraits of old surfers, I kinda of screwed it up because I, I elaborated on the theme too much and came away with like a mishmash of work rather than a really nice, obvious series of photos. And uh, so now I've, I've learned through looking at other people's personal projects that sometimes the most simple stuff is the best. Mm. Um, so I don't necessarily need to take a whole week off to shoot personal work. Mm-hmm. I can just, I can, but depending on what it is, I could nail it in an afternoon. And in theory, because the Art of White Festival thing was something I came up with um, rather than got hired for, that was personal work. Yeah, sure. and, uh, and I did it in a weekend. And there's no reason why you can't pull off a series of really cool work in just anything from two hours to two days uh, you just got to not think too big and if you do think big bloody well make sure you pull it off properly <laughs> otherwise yeah, it will look because Isle of Wight is that's big right you know, yeah like, but I mean not yeah. big production though. Yeah, like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a big idea though. yeah it was yeah. a big idea that was fairly easy to execute cool. and it wasn't there wasn't tons of retouching to do and there wasn't uh, everything that came out of the camera was basically what got produced it wasn't like I needed to add anything afterwards or um or do any kind of follow-up work to it it was just shot and done yeah and um do you have any do you have any other kind of personal work ideas in the works have you are you i'm uh you know what i've been the isle of white thing i was so excited about it for weeks and then so sort of pleased with what i got afterwards that my brain's kind of gone into into standby mode and i was thinking the other day what (laughs) i wanted to do next yeah and, uh, and I couldn't think of anything. So I need to just, I need to stop. I need to, as soon as I shoot something that I think is really cool, just consider it done and move on to the next thing rather mm-hmm. than kind of just, I've just been sort of riding a wave of smugness that I pulled off <laughs> the Isle of Wight Festival thing. And I need yeah. to, I need to get back to thinking of another, the next thing I want to shoot. But I guess now that you've, you've now got a load of new work to show a bunch of new, bunch of people. Yeah, so, it's great. And, and it's, I imagine of all the personal work you've done, the Isle of Wight stuff's probably really commercially solid too yeah it's, it'll be fantastic for showing to magazine editors and things like that hopefully you talked about uh, with this recent shoot there wasn't a lot of touch up and all that kind of stuff needed um, reverting back to the theme of everybody having their own camera due to the speed of 
photography developing. Yeah. Do you feel like you have to keep up with that speed with the latest and greatest equipment? Do you feel like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no real such thing as a bad camera nowadays. And if I could, I, I could, I reckon I could shoot the exact same portfolio on a camera that costs a third of what mine does. Yeah. Um, I have mine because it's solid, reliable, uh, and I just, I just know that it, it does the job well. And, uh, but I'm sure, I mean, there's no point in me testing that theory, but I'm pretty sure that if I was to go out and buy an SLR and the right lens for under a grand, I could shoot the majority. Not if I employed that rule four years ago, that'd be rubbish because all the stuff would come out crap. But yeah. nowadays, even an SLR camera that costs around a grand all in, uh, or a bit, or even like 500 pounds, you can shoot some amazing work on it. And it's not, no one cares about whether your shots are grainy or whether your shots look a little bit, you know, they can't be printed the size of a mm. car or you know or, a, yeah. or the size of a lorry so which is why the, the camera on an iphone is amazing uh you can't really print them very big don't believe whatever it is they've had oh, that, that campaign i was like on i don't iPhone. know how mm. they've uh, they've done that yeah i'm not quite sure what yeah. that's about but uh but the iphone in terms of what it does uh, how it works as a camera is amazing and you and <laughs> you think about the majority of people the majority of photos that people look at now they're shot the on size an iPhone. of the billboard. They're the size of they're the, the sign of screen. size of Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, people no people need to stop worrying about what camera they've got, and nothing's more boring than when you meet someone and you say and they're like, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a, I'm a photographer. And the first thing they ask is, is what camera do you use? And I just think, what a boring question. <laughs> like if I met someone who's a professional chef, I would say, is it what what kind of stuff do you get really geeky about? What what kind of food do you really like making? Not what brand of ovens do you use yeah, yeah, yeah. or what brand of <laughs> knives do you use? And yeah, same as if someone was like, I'm an artist, you'd say, oh, what kind of stuff do you make? Um, uh, you wouldn't say, you know, what are your what, what's your thoughts on um on this brand of HB pencil? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because I think a lot of times yeah. the, the in the photography world that can almost become kind of a ticket to being a professional. Yeah. You know how to speak exactly. that technical language. And I think it's really interesting how you are more swayed by the artistry mm-hmm. yeah. and the style discussions and people developing their own rather than you can sit and talk about cameras for 45 minutes in a language nobody knows. It yeah. doesn't necessarily make you professional. Absolutely. There are people, there's this whole generation of... Um, of people I, I tend to find it's people outside of London in kind of smaller parts of slightly more remote parts of the UK this kind of generation of middle-aged people who have got into SLR photography in a big way like they love going to the local safari park slash zoo and taking pictures of animals and uh, and they get all the gear and they just believe that the higher the megapixel rating and the like the more expensive the glass in the lens is what makes a shot more professional mm. and they kind of rant away on internet forums and like just running their mouths off like they know everything about photography putting down other people's views and stuff and it's just so sad because they're just the people I mean the camera industry loves them because they spend four grand mm. on two cameras yeah, like, yeah. two cameras they're, they're the guys that are keeping <laughs> keep yeah but they're the worst people to talk about yeah. photography and they've sucked the life out of it because they just don't <laughs> I feel like, I mean, the same, I probably used to be the same kind of person thinking too much about kit. And then I met the right type kind of photographers who just through hanging out with them realized that I'd just been the wrong kind of photographer. Like I was putting all my thoughts and efforts into the wrong stuff. Mm. And, uh, and it just, I guess I'm not saying these people are bad people at all, but I just feel like there's a great big market of people, a great big niche of, of photographers with, uh, quotation marks, um, who, 
who don't quite get what it, what I think real, really being a photographer is. And it's not about having the biggest lens or how far away you can photograph a lion from. Uh, it's, and, and most of the people who are the most vocal about gear are the people who don't do it for a living. They take pictures of their nephews and nieces yeah. at the zoo. But they have everything to say about different lenses and stuff. Yeah, because it's, it's almost like taking that attitude, you might as well just discount every photograph taken before, what, like... Absolutely. 1995, which is insane. 2000. Because there were, there, you know, just there were photojournalists, like war photographers, taking incredible imagery. Exactly. On what would, now would be considered a shit piece of kit. Yeah, but and everybody loves those photos because they have that graininess and they have that kind of... You don't look at it and think that must have been on a 23 megapixel camera. It doesn't... It, yeah. The beauty about stuff that's shot on film is you don't think about the technicalities of it. You just see an incredible image. Nowadays, like it's so easy for people to think, oh, that must have been shot at this shutter speed. It must have been mm. shot with that lens. I bet you it was Nikon versus Canon. <laughs> I bet you it was a Hasselblad yeah. digital 20 grand camera. I bet... and. Whereas when stuff was on film, it wasn't the cameras weren't really that expensive, and nor was the film, uh, and so it wasn't about what camera you had; it was about what you photographed, it was like that frame, yeah, there and then. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, you've you've done a bit of work on film. Yeah, Are a you still bit. you still kind of uh, I've kind of now and again. set it aside for a while because I know that the majority of my work isn't being commissioned because I shoot mm. stuff on film. Okay, it's being commissioned because it just looks nice. Um, and it's just my local developing person is shut down as well or moved somewhere else. And so all the, uh, and I don't have a very, I realized because I shot a lot of the surfing mm. series I did on film. Yeah. And I realized I got a, a local university allowed me to use their really nice scanner to scan the negatives. And I realized after looking at those that anything I didn't scan on that was no, there was just no point. There's no mm. point in shooting on medium format film or 35 mil film or whatever mm. and trying to get that thing that everyone loves about film and you can't get it unless you scan it the, with the best scanners mm-hmm. um, and I have one but it's worth like 250 quid and it's sometimes it's a complete lottery sometimes it does an amazing <laughs> yeah. job and other times it does a terrible one uh, so it's just there's a hell of a lot of time and effort that goes into it and I know that my particular brand of photography isn't really being isn't really benefited much by shooting on film and I'm definitely not one of those people. I know some people who are real sort of film Nazis and they kind of don't really have yeah. any interest in digital, but it's just a camera. It's a, it's a machine for making an image and it doesn't, the mm. general public don't care whether you shot something on film or not. How did you kind of choose your focus area of photography? Because obviously, you know, it's a massive art form. You can, you could shoot anything from kind of food to like your local safari park yeah so you know what what made you kind of focus in on the kind of portraiture um mainly just through being uh obsessed with humans and how weird we are as people and also just i i'm someone who's very outgoing and i like making friends and Mm -hmm. i like hanging out with friends i'm not very good at just sitting around in my flat by myself so i i just like taking portraits of people that are you know anything from moody to happy to exciting i just like people Mm. Um, and uh, I definitely got swayed into buying an SLR from the first time I ever had a go on a friend's camera and managed to get that blurry background feel where the you know shallow <laughs> focus feel which actually isn't how I shoot at all now no. but um, but I think the, ma- the main reason why anybody buys a fancy camera is because that's what they want to do they see that beautiful blurriness where you take a picture of say this microphone here but yeah. everything behind it is blurred yeah. it looks amazing so crisp yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And people, I think that's the main reason why people think they need an SLR or they need this lens or need that lens. Um, and I definitely got swayed, swayed into photography because of that years and years ago. <laughs> yeah. If you had to pick, what's been your worst shoot? Um, you don't have to name names, but you can if you want to. Yeah. I, I'm not going to name any names. It's not people. When I was starting out, I got given, this is really bad. Um, I got given, or not really bad, but just the exact kind of job that you don't tell people. I was offered a, a healthy amount of money to, shoot, porn, to shoot the catalogue for a coffin manufacturer's. So I, uh, wow, I shot. That's actually worse than porn. I shot a ton of. Uh, it's definitely worse than porn. Yeah, um, I shot a ton of product shots of coffins, and then some actually really stylish, nice-looking photos of the coffins being made in this in this factory full of sawdust and sun okay. sunlight coming through. But I never got to show it off because it was what? people making boxes for dead people. Yeah. What was the purpose of this shoot? Like, for like their, it was like an upmarket coffin brand, and they wanted to you show. Might, you might even want to choose your final destination. That's yeah. Oak, pine, who knows? Lion, <laughs> silk, so many choices. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that was years ago, stuff. and I did that, and it just sort of paid my rent, and uh, and I told very few people. How did you get that lead? Um, I think a marketing agency was contacted by the owner of the company. Yeah. Uh, and wow. they said, oh, we know someone who might who might be able to shoot it. He'll be up for this. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently, that's how I come up with people's minds. <laughs> But yeah, there's plenty of. I wouldn't say there's ever been like a worst shoot. Uh, that uh, oh yeah, there's. I um I've 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 had a few incidents where I've forgotten to bring a battery for a camera or a memory card. Oh god, I actually remember one of those. I remember you telling me about one of those. Yeah, <laughs> I shot something yeah. for a magazine. I shot something for a magazine about two or three years ago, and um and I showed up and realised I hadn't brought a battery for my camera, and it was in a showroom of classic cars with basically photographing the owner of like the biggest collection of classic cars in Europe or something and it was a really cool place and oh, I realised while the interview for the magazine was going on that I hadn't I basically didn't have a camera Sounds and uh, and so I shot a little bit of it on film uh, which kind of worked yeah um, and then also one of the guys in the office for this showroom one of the kind of I don't know what his job was. Just one of the guys who helps manage a showroom. He was like, "I've got an SLR camera, and my house is only five minutes drive away. Do you want me to go and get it?" And I just sort of thanked God. You were like, "Thank I God, like, amateur Thank photographer, you so much, <laughs> you're a SLR camera." Man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was not a very nice camera, and it was a different brand that I wasn't useful used to. But it was fine for getting the job. It had done. power. It had power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it had a battery in it, and I wasn't reinventing the wheel. I just oh, needed. Yeah. I can imagine how you must have felt when you realised that. Oh my god! Yeah. It's almost as bad as battery running out during the middle of a podcast. Almost I've also, um, I've also <laughs> once... goddamn it, one job. I've also uh, this once... one's better though. Take two is better. Years ago, I uh, I also did a job where I shot. It was a really simple job for a, uh, for an agency, uh, just shooting some sort of event. When I was just taking any job that yeah. was around. And I shot the event, and I knew they didn't need the photos till the next week, so I put my camera down. I, I didn't take the images off the memory card, I just put my camera down at the end of the day, and then went away for the weekend somewhere cool. So I took my camera with me and formatted the memory card, forgetting that I hadn't got I hadn't taken off. <laughs> oh my uh, god. So dude. I basically just got rid of the entire of that previous evening's work, um, and I had to basically tell the agency that I had screwed up. Well, I said that the, the memory card was corrupt. Um, and that it's something that happens once in a blue moon. Yeah. Uh, and just apologise tons when actually I just deleted them. 
Hey man, that's good. So it's like a confessional. It's like yeah, we, need, we need to be careful how far this goes. <laughs> <laughs> it was too long ago for yeah. anyone to remember. No one knows because it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Executives have been fired, but it's okay. <laughs> and um, what what do you think um, so far uh, has been your? I, I reckon knowing you, I can I can imagine what it will probably be. But what's what's been your kind of biggest kind of learning around? like the journey you've been on like and the success you've had so far and everything else like what what's what's been the biggest learning yeah what have you kind of learned learned from it like what's been your biggest kind of like takeaway mainly uh, what we were talking about else? before just consider yourself to be an artist not just someone who has a nice camera you should think about what you want to show yourself off as stick to it and make sure that your website and your portfolio book show exactly what you want to be known yeah. for uh, don't bother having a website that says you know uh, portraits weddings food automotive you know or automobiles uh, sports because it will just be you'll, you'll definitely come across even if you shoot all those things amazingly which you don't no one does um, you will come <laughs> yeah. across as one of those local guy photographers who thinks if he puts every category of photography on his website, he'll get hired for everything, yeah. which is not the case. You're much. You should be. You should just bung them all, bung them all together. The best of the best. Like, yeah. Well, you should yeah. pick. You should pick a niche that you want to be known for. If it's portraits, then start with that, and then work out what kind of style of portraits. If it's fashion, then you know work out how you want your fashion yeah. work to look. Um, I just think that's the most important thing. You've definitely got to consider yourself a brand and an artist. And however you display your work, make sure you display it the same way all the time. Mm -hmm. So people always see you as like a brand. It looks very smart and it uh, it shows that you're not just kind of... Like I always... I mean, it's so simple, but whenever I put a photo online, I put it on... I put the photograph on a, on a plain white, slightly bigger rectangle. Yep. So there's a white... Basically with a white border around mm -hmm. it because it means however that photo looks, it's on an unbiased... Uh, it's like putting it on an unbiased table. Yeah. Uh, so rather than having just, if it's on Facebook and the edge of that photo meets text and advertising and stuff, it kind of upsets the feel of mm -hmm. of the photo. Um, I mean, just simple stuff like that. Just find out how you want how you want to be perceived, and uh, and run with it. Um, rather than trying to be a jack of all trades or just someone who whose work seems untidy. That's a really big thing, and. Uh, also, um, just the huge learning curve that is how to go and churn up more work and generate more work yeah, and always make sure you're pushing yeah. forward. Yeah, that's that's definitely a learning curve. And you only learn that through trying and failing and speaking to other photographers and just getting it done. You can't, unless you've got some award-winning idea, no one goes, I'm going to be a professional photographer and then one month later just has endless work yeah, of yeah. the exact caliber that they want. It doesn't work like that. It takes... I went and spoke to, and it's all happened through various people I've met. Like one was a photographer who's younger than me, but considerably more uh, successful so far. Is a guy called Cole Barish, who is a snowboard originally a snowboard photographer in the U.S. and now shoots all kinds of uh, sort of fashion-related stuff in New York. And he came over, and he'd been doing it since he was like 14 years old mm -hmm. in America on film. Wow. And he just transformed the way that I think about photography and how I wonder. How, what how, what I should take out of my portfolio and yeah. how to and also about personal work and how incredibly mm. important it is to shoot your own work to show to art directors and therefore get hired for what you want to be shooting um, him yeah, so he was a big player in teaching me what really being a photographer was and also um uh, I went I, I, I was just I was walking through like a, a news agent and I saw a magazine that I wanted to shoot for 
and I contacted their picture editor and she had a meeting with me and she basically just tore me to pieces in this meeting. We spoke for an hour and she said all the way through, she said, don't feel like I'm bullying you because I wouldn't have got you in here if I didn't like your work. I just feel like it's worth talking to you to push you in the right direction. And That's really cool of her. It was really yeah. cool. And in fact, I, I, I contacted her last year and said, look, you were so good at putting me on the right track last the, the year before. Yeah. Can I come in and chat with you again? I said, I'm not. I'm no longer even particularly interested in shooting for the magazine that you work for. I just think you'd be an amazing inspiration yeah. to give me another kick up the arse. And uh, she was ruthless and it was brilliant. Like she'd just go through my work and say, no, that's crap. Uh, you could be doing so much better than that. Yeah. Um, talking about, you know, uh, also, you know, a little bit about personal work again um, and how important that is. Uh, so yeah, it was, it's amazing to meet people who are kind, but merciful, uh, unmerciful with their, yeah. with their feedback. Cause not everyone is, uh, is, is that has that much time to give you or that much balls to just, you know, tell you exactly how it is. Yeah, because I can imagine, like, in the end, you can always find plenty of people to tell you it was a nice picture. Yeah. And that stops, Good job. stops being like, particularly, you know, like, valuable in the end. Like that movie, what's it called? Uh, the one, the drumming movie. Whiplash. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. my time. Yeah, not my time. Yeah, <laughs> not this, my time. Well, the, mainly the thing where he talks about there's too many people just being told, good job. Yeah. Whereas, actually, someone should be saying, that could have been a shitload better. Yeah. Um, so, what's next? Uh, with yeah. work yeah, yeah. Uh, what's <laughs> yeah. next the, pub, the pub's next but I in think, terms of Will's uh, career I think I think <laughs> I've realised I'm I'm really sick of shooting stuff in a studio or on backdrops okay. um, so I want to just go and shoot a ton of personal work and jobs that are on location which is what I really love and I always get worried when people say oh yeah you, you shoot mainly on backdrops or in studios mm. and I, I want to say no I don't do that. I've just done a lot of that recently. Because if yeah, you yeah. look at my website, the portrait page is still mostly portraits of people on locations. But I seem to have accidentally given friends and family and people who are fans of my work and it, uh, a bit too much of a studio vibe. And I actually don't care about shooting a studio as much yeah, at all. Yeah. I um, mean, I, I love your work. Um, your kind of work on location stuff is great. Yeah, it's, so that's, that's always that's where my heart lies. So I'm going to shoot a whole load of that. And I also have realised through the success of the Isle of Wight thing, my long-term goal at the moment that I'm excited about is is showing that off to enough people and being hired to do that a lot. Yeah. I want to be at the forefront of shooting really cool, timeless photo booths at music festivals, award ceremonies, and uh, and probably not bar mitzvahs. I was literally thinking bar mitzvahs. <laughs> Maybe the occasional bar mitzvah. Occasional bar mitzvah. Um, but yeah, so shooting, because there's a lot of that that goes on in the US. Um, and I love seeing it. I just want to put my own spin on it. I'm definitely not a photographer who, who I always tell people you've got to try and create your own style, but it, do, it doesn't really, it's not actually that important that your style is completely individual. Yeah. It's If I'm really honest and speak more like a businessman, it's just important that you have a style that people know you for. There's very there's a lot of photographers in the US who shoot like Annie Leibovitz. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of photographers in in the UK who shoot like Terry Richardson. Um, even though Terry Richardson, I believe, is American, but his style is a bit more gritty, kind of British fashion photography style. Um, and there's a lot of people who shoot like a whole lot of other people. But as long as you stick, as long as you find something you like and you run with it and do it well, that's much more important than being able to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. I occasionally see someone reinvent the wheel and it's amazing. Yeah. There's a lifestyle photographer who whose work I just can't get enough of at the moment called Ryan Eady. I think he's only like 25 years old at the most. 
and he assisted another photographer called Alex Telfer, who's a who's a commercial lifestyle photographer, put his own spin on Alex Telfer's work and created this whole new niche cool. of amazing. And uh, and if you have a look at his his Instagram, is it's really really cool. Some people might just be like, I don't get it, and uh, but yeah. I like I get really psyched when I see someone reinvent the wheel a little bit. Awesome. And um, but and you finally... just yeah, my main point is you don't have to just find out what you like and nail it and show that off to people uh, because it's more important than being the only person in the world who shoots like that. There are a few of those, but it's much more important that you just. If you want to make it your living, shoot something really, really well. Yeah, amazing. Um, and where can where's the best place for people to check out your work? Uh, my website's probably the best and nicest way that it's displayed. Okay. Which is willbephoto.com, um, and then my Instagram is looking fairly sexy these days. Nice. Which is Will Bremridge. I'm luckily the only Will Bremridge in the world. I found out the other day that there was one in South Africa and I've had him removed. Um, <laughs> from Instagram or from... Yeah, no, I actually found out there was another Will B photography, uh, but I checked out his work and he, I don't think he... It was, He's not he, it was the guy who photographs his sons at the zoo. So like, there was no problem with that. Um, so yeah, if you Google Will Bremridge and you spell it correctly without an extra B somewhere in the middle, then you will find me on the first page... Uh, yeah, I'm quite lucky that I'm the only person with that name. It's because there's not the other B. It's confusing as hell. Yeah. Yeah. There I probably think... is another photographer called Will Bembridge. <laughs> Bembridge. He's probably <laughs> killing it right now. <laughs> yeah, because he's getting all of your like, work. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Will. No and, problem. Um, we'll have to get you back on another time to, to have an update on what you'll be doing. Absolutely. Cool. Who's hungry for a Guinness? <laughs>